When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This week's edition of the Terry's Talking Podcast. This is David Campbell, your host. I am joined by Mr. Terry Pluto, as I am every week. And we're a little later than usual this week, Terry, because you were able to take a couple days off. Hope you had some restful time and time away from the keyboard, hopefully, a little bit. Yeah. Yep, I did. But, you know, the podcast never rests. That's right. We got to be there every week. Hey, speaking of which, Terry, I have finished the survey to ask listeners what they think. And I wanted to tell people what the address is for that. They can just go online and fill it out. There's kind of a few questions. It only takes a minute or two. And a lot of them are just multiple choice. And then there's a thing at the end where you can just say whatever you want, like a free choice thing. But all you have to do is go to um, tinyurl.com slash terrysurvey24. Again, it's tinyurl.com slash terrysurvey24. 24. I'll try and put it in the description of the show today. But we just want to know if you think the, sh- the show is too long, too short, what you want to be in it. Um, format changes. And like I said, then there's a thing you can put in whatever you want to say. So we would love to hear your thoughts. We appreciate everybody who listens and especially our longtime listeners. And we know you have some ideas on how to make this uh, even better in 2024. So anything to add there, Terry? We good? <laughs> is it tiny, T-I-N-Y? T-I-N-Y-U-R-L dot com slash what did i say now i have it off my screen you know we're gonna survey 24 yeah all right check it out there we go all right so terry you have an appearance coming up we should do a quick plug for that right yes so next uh wednesday night the 31st i'll be at uh, the music box i think i've been there i don't know three or four times over the years uh in the flats doors open at five i speak at seven uh, I don't think they charge any um, admission to go in, but, you know, you can buy some food or some stuff to drink, and it's a lot of fun. So, and it's a great spot right on the on the cog or on the river there, right in the flats. And so that's Wednesday, 5 o'clock, and I talk at 7 at the Music Box. All right. And not to overload people with web addresses, but it's musicboxclee.com if you want to check out. I think you can pre-register for that, right, Terry? So I, th- I would imagine, yeah. And that, that's an easy thing to Google, so. Yeah, yeah, great. Okay, so that's Wednesday, and we got a lot to get into, Terry. There's so much going on with the Browns. The season's over, but things just keep happening. 
Um, I also want to get your thoughts on the Cavs and whether you think they need to make a move here. The trade deadline is two weeks away. And then you were at Guards Fest on Saturday, and I want to hear kind of what your takeaways were from that. So we got a lot to get to. Why don't we start with the Browns? A lot of interviewing happening in Berea this week for the offensive coordinator position. Um, Brian Johnson of the Eagles has been in. The Seahawks offensive line coach Andy Dickerson has been in. Ken Dorsey has been in. Um, Gerard Johnson from the Texans. I think he's only been there one year as their quarterback's coach. There's a lot of things happening here. Terry, any reaction to what you've been seeing and where you think the Browns might be headed? I don't know if you have any people you've talked to about this or you said a gut feeling about it, but where are you at with all this uh, offensive coordinator stuff? Well, a couple of things to keep in mind. And once it's sort of, how does the business work? Sometimes you see, why are they talking to this guy or that guy? It doesn't seem like that's a really good idea. All of these um, assistant coaches and so on, they have agents. And sometimes an agent will ask you to talk to their guy uh, just to get his name out there. Like, for example, Dorsey was uh, fired at midseason by Buffalo. He's not exactly a hot prospect at the moment. So uh, Dorsey's agent, I, I don't know for a fact, but might just say, hey, can you talk to our guy? Maybe there's a spot on your staff, not as a coordinator, but as something else. It's a way of keeping them out there. And the the GMs and agents do favors for each other. It's just a fact. And so sometimes it's some weird candidates, and that's the reason. Um, I have zero feel for this, David. I don't know what they're doing. And I mean, I don't mean it's bad. I just don't know. You know, the stuff about Kevin and play calling or not play calling. Uh, I have a strong opinion on that. But in terms of the overall what is the job description that they're looking for? Are they just looking for another Alex Van Pelt? And then if that was the case, why did you get rid of Van Pelt? I don't know. Yeah, I'm really, you, you wrote about this uh, earlier this week, Terry, but yeah. the, do you want to see Kevin Stefanski give a play calling I, just to get it on the record? I guess the, and my answer to your question would be if they feel like they got somebody who could call plays that, I guess they're going to let whoever they hire decide whether Stefanski calls plays. And if it's someone who doesn't have, doesn't have play calling experience, maybe they keep it with Stefanski. I don't know, but you, where, you where do you, you land? Can't do, yeah. You can't do that. You can't have a guy who's the offensive coordinator come in and make the decision on who's calling the plays. That's got to be a top-down decision. Um, it's very hard. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, look, David, it's like who's working for who here? Well, this is why I'm asking, Terry. So Gerard yeah. Johnson was the, the quarterback's coach at, with the Texans this year. Correct. And led C.J. Stroud to arguably the best rookie performance ever by a quarterback. He's been there for one year. Would he take a, a promotion to come to Cleveland, get the title of offensive coordinator, and maybe not call plays right away or even for the first year? But that's a step up. And here's a guy who has a proven track record of elevating quarterback play. And now you pair him with Deshaun Watson. And you see what happens. Like, that's what I'm thinking could work. But then you get some of these other guys who have more experience and Dorsey's called plays. Like, if you turn the job over to him, maybe he won't come here unless he can call plays. Maybe but you, you think it should be a top-down decision. Yeah, maybe he needs yeah. a job, David. I'm serious. Maybe he needs a job. Todd Munkin went from being a head coach at Southern Miss to coming to Cleveland as – a offensive coordinator knowing he would not be calling plays for Freddie Kitchens, but believing even w with that 
being the stipulation, having the title of offensive coordinator would help him, if not else here, somewhere else. And, of course, it did help him. He ended up going to Georgia and now with Baltimore. So there are all these kind of strategies that go on. But here is a couple of things. Play calling was one of the main reasons Kevin Stefanski was hired to begin with. You couldn't True. sit there and say, we're hiring this guy because he's a proven leader. He had been an offense. He had called plays for 19 games and been an offensive coordinator for a single year in Minnesota. So you could think he might be a leader, but you really didn't know. But there was something in terms of how he handled quarterbacks before that and his play calling that intrigued you because at that point they were looking for a guy who also known for being very organized, that he would be organized. He would have a calm demeanor, and he could call plays, and we'll figure it out from there and maybe help Baker. That's why he was hired. Play calling was a big part of it. You know, over and over, Andrew Berry has said, you know, play calling is a strength for him. When you have that ability and it gets you these jobs and keeps you in a job, it is very hard. I mean, why would Kevin Stefanski give it up to Ken Dorsey or any of these other guys? What's their track record compared to his? I mean, there's so many variables there, Terry. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's not any better, I guess I'll say. <laughs> but No, I mean, well, I, I would say it is better. You know, his he's had better record with quarterbacks. I mean, right now, if you look at his time here, um, you could argue Baker had perhaps his best year here, certainly Magna Top 2. Jacoby Brissett had his best year here with him. And Joe Flacco rose from the dead, the football dead here. Well, who was calling these plays and whose offense was that? Well, it was Stefanski's. But but here's the thing, Terry. Things change, and the Browns know they need to elevate this offense again Correct. and get to Sean Watson where he needs to be. So during a game, would you rather have Kevin Stefanski having to sit and – having to stand on the sideline, watch the defense and, and figure out where field position is. In the meantime, Deshaun Watson's on the bench with the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach. Or would you rather have Kevin be able to step away for a second to go talk to people instead of having to watch every play? Like if he had to go, if you know what I'm saying? Like if, if he didn't have to be accountable for everything all the time, would that be a good thing for the offense? I don't know. All right. 14 playoff teams, David, and I had it in the paper a couple of weeks ago. The 14 playoff teams, how many of them had coach, head coaches calling plays? I don't remember that, st- that stat, but I do remember you said that 12 teams, at least 12 in the NFL, have coaches who call plays right now. Correct, and seven were in the playoffs. Seven, okay. I mean, that's that's a pretty good indication that it's working in a bunch of places. Kyle Shanahan, Andy Reid. Just, you know, come right off. Go down the, the list. Yeah. 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 He, there's, there are others. All right. So, so what do you want to happen here? I want them to what, basically. What should they be looking for? I, I would want a guy that maybe not only just worked with Deshaun, but have it maybe worked with an offense that would be more Deshaun friendly. Um, and that's, that's just all I'm thinking because when I mentioned quarterbacks who played their best, I didn't mention Deshaun under Stefanski. And you could roll it back to Minnesota. Case Keenum had his best career year ever with Stefanski. And Kirk Covens certainly had a top three year. So if you go 
Case Keenum, Baker, Cousins, Jacoby, and, you know, Flacco, the, the miracle rising, you know, from the ashes of his career. Wow. So there, that's what he is, but there has not been that happening with Watson. There may be a variety of reasons for that. You know, the infamous rust from the first year and all that other mental baggage you brought in along with that. And then last year, uh, he'd have a good year and his rotator cuff would hurt and all this other stuff. And maybe it wouldn't matter who was the coordinator. But I do know they want to try to figure out an offense that's better because as I wrote today, I mean, this is, it's, it's a business term I heard a long time ago. It's a burn the lifeboat situation. You are stuck with Deshaun Watson. I don't want to hear any more trade ideas from fans or whatever, I, because you got him and he has a no trade and he's got the contract. And the other fear of the Browns would be this, say they, they went and dumped out of them. They found a way to a team to take them. They ate all this contract stuff, and he turns around and becomes even a top ten quarterback. You go, then they go. Cleveland is a double moron <laughs> instead of a regular moron. They would. Right. So you know the idea is like that's why you got to get somebody else in here, um, and maybe they go more in the area of you know an older guy who could come in and work with Kevin, but has a different idea of. Um, Offenses. I remember when they brought Munkin in here. Munkin was at that point an air raid guy. He was out of that school, and they were going to do some of that with Baker. Of course, Munkin got here to discover that Freddie Kitchens that either didn't want him and certainly had no interest in uh, what he was, what he had to say. I remember they bring Munkin out for these these uh, weekly uh, press conferences. Well, you know, Coach Coach Kitchens, he he kind of makes the calls, and you know, I'm there to do whatever I can to help. <laughs> I mean, it's like that, you know, like which was like. Hey, Todd, take the garbage out. I mean, that was about it. Yeah, and we saw how that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Terry, so, so is, I just want to make sure I'm straight on this. So you think that as, Stefanski was brought here for his play calling and for yes. his offensive acumen, and as long as he's the head coach, you want to see him stay the play caller? It, it, unless I saw him falling apart at it, and I can't argue that I can't make that case. I'm making the case of he has helped a lot of quarterbacks here. Including Joe Flacco. Flacco. I mean, if it was that easy to fix Flacco, why was he struggling with the Jets when he played, other than when he played Cleveland, of course? Why was he 2-6 and as a starter with Denver? It wasn't that easy to fix Flacco. Okay. So, Terry, this kind of ties into what you wrote about today on Thursday. We're taping this uh, late Thursday afternoon uh, and you got an email from a fan. I guess we could read the email about sure. Andrew Barry's comments about this being a 10 year plan. It also struck me when I, when I heard mm-hmm. him say that uh, a fan named Tom wrote you and said, uh, I read something about Andrew Barry saying that getting Deshaun Watson was part of a 10 year plan of some sort. Are we really supposed to believe that they got him to win now, not years from now. They're simply blowing smoke at the fans to cover up what a failure it's been so far. And I thought you made some good points, Terry, about the 10-year plan and, and how the trade fits in. Why don't you run through that real quick? What Andrew Berry did, and he probably should not have gone in this direction, but he gave the fans a look at one of the arguments they made when they decided to make all these six draft picks, three first-rounders, contract, no trade, which everybody but me seems to forget, is in the contract. And 
because they look at this guy at that point, he was 27 years old. They've run through all these quarterbacks and it wasn't just, we're going to wait 10 years for him to be good or wait even five years. But if we get the guy that we think is even a pro bowl caliber, even if he's not this top three or top five quarterback, but say a top 10 quarterback, we could be set for the next 10 years because, as he said, these guys play a long time. These quarterbacks go into their middle to late 30s are pretty good, and even some of the backups do. So that was when they were sitting around basically kind of talking themselves into this trade. One of the items that came up was it's a long-term play that they hope would have short-term benefits, but they were willing to take the hit in the what they thought would just be the first year because – We've got him for four more after that, and then we're in position to extend him even more because you could keep reworking the contract forever. Uh, that's really what they're saying. But what is it predicated on? It's predicated on him playing well. Yeah, and when players get drafted, they always say, oh, we won't know if this was a good pick or not in five years, right? It was kind of that theme that he was playing on, that we're not going to know how this works out until it's all over. And I, I, I get what he was trying to do. But, Terry, we cannot sugarcoat this. Like, the Browns have lost no. the Deshaun Watson trade in a yep. huge way so far. It has been hugely lopsided to the side of the Texans. I mean, the final – again, PFF grades are not everything. But the, their final season-ending regular season grades are out. Josh Allen, number one, from the Bills. Lamar Jackson, number two. Dak Prescott, number three. Patrick Mahomes, number four. Matthew Stafford, number five. Tua, number six, right? The, yeah. Brock Purdy, number seven. You go down to number 22 and you find Joe Flacco. And then you go a few more spots down to number 27 and you find Deshaun Watson, who played 383 snaps this year. Yes. Um, and and it, it has been woefully lopsided toward the Texans. And there's no denying that. And it might be different in three years when the contract is over. But that's where we're be. at, right? That's exactly where we're at. Remember, I hated the trade to begin with, but I'm also mm -hmm. a realist. You know, there there is no way out of this. They have to make it work. And that's why I'm trying to talk to the fans about what they're thinking. They have to find a way to make it work. So if they bring in the guy from the Texans or somebody else that could help Deshaun, help Stefanski, you know, tailor an offense around, because I'm always told that Stefanski is open to a lot of ideas. Um, he's not insecure in that area, um, that that would be something uh, that they think could help. Because, I mean, look, we we all love Flacco. It's a great story. They're not going to, like, get rid of Deshaun Watson and roll with a 39-year-old Joe Flacco. I mean, they're just not going to do that. Now, can they get Flacco to come back? You know, that's an interesting discussion. But that's – I'm just saying Deshaun Watson just hangs over this franchise. It just hangs there. Well, I I've, I want to run this past you, Terry. I have yeah. another twist on this whole thing. So, I think you mentioned a double more double moron a little while ago. Yeah. This is a this is a double negative effect that could happen. And I'm not trying to be a downer for Browns fans here. So we we talked about the trade, but do you remember back in the '90s when the Vikings traded with the Cowboys for Herschel Walker? And it was the Cowboys got a bunch of first round picks out of it. Troy Aikman came in, Emmett Smith, that whole crew. They won a bunch of games. The Vikings never won anything, and the Cowboys won everything because of that Herschel Walker trade, which set them up for 10 years. If I'm a Browns fan, I'm worried right now about the Houston Texans. <laughs> sure. Not just because you just lost to them, but if you look at 
this trade, this trade by making this, we talk about the guardians trading with San Diego all the time because they're in the national league and they don't have to play them. The, the Browns might have created another monster in the AFC, but through this trade that they're going to have to go through if they ever want to get to a Super Bowl. that could be th- another byproduct of this trade. I, I was just going through looking. The, so there were three first rounders, which you've talked about, Terry. The last one is going to be this year, April, right, for, for this year's draft. Here are the players that the Texans have gotten out of the Deshaun Watson deal. Some of these picks they took and traded to other guys that they got from the Browns, right, other teams. So th- this is what they've gotten from the Browns and turned into picks. Kenyon Green, John Mechie third, Christian Harris. Anybody who's watched the Texans for the last month has seen Christian Harris all over the field. Damian Pierce, Thomas Booker. Will Anderson, who anybody who watched the playoff game saw what Will Anderson's going to do. Tank Dell, they're arguably, arguably their second best offensive player this season. Brandon Hill, Xavier Hutchinson, the 2024 first round pick and a 2024 third round pick. That is what the Texans have gotten out of the Deshaun Watson deal so far. And they have, I think, believe the second most cap space in the NFL right now to yeah, go out and get and plug holes. Because they're really so, young. They're real young because yeah. of all the picks. But a, a big uh, overall, when you talk about your big picture, chief strategy officer move was this. Not only are they trading Watson, they're tanking at the same time. So that's what they said, which led to C.J. Stroud. I know for a fact the Browns said, well, you want Baker for the last year? No. They didn't want Baker. They went with, I thought, who the heck if it was a quarterback? Brad? I can't uh, Brad Mills or whatever his name was. Oh, Davis Mills. Yep. Davis Mills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were out. They were out to lose because they wanted to get high in the draft and go for their quarterback that way. Now, Anderson wasn't purely a, a, a pick for pick thing, but the Browns, they used some of the Browns picks to move up to, I think it was to number four or five. I forgot right. What it was right. To, to get Anderson. Uh, but nonetheless, you, you, cause I outlined it. There was that guy, uh, uh, Amici is from uh, Alabama. Alabama, mm-hmm. who had who had leukemia the first year, but then came back this year. In fact, he had a couple of good catches against the Browns in that game. So, uh, you're correct. I mean, it just goes on and on. It, that also then floats back to why you got to make it work with Watson. You just have to. And to be fair to the Browns, they were missing a bunch of guys. Nick Chubb and, yeah. and Watson was out, and they were and. Amari Cooper was banged up when they just lost to the Texans. So yes, they're 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 right there with them. But the Texans are only going to get better, and the Browns are really going to have to work to keep up with everybody mm-hmm. in the AFC. But but now they have another team to worry about. So um, so Andrew Barry also mentioned the Detroit Lions. Terry, why don't you talk about that for a second and, and how this all ties together with the Lions playing in the NFC Championship this Sunday? Yeah, I thought that um, that was an interesting comment from him. Uh, and I and I believe that I thought his introduction was pretty good about the fun, you know, relating with the fans and the Lions, and he wants to have those moments for the Cavs and I'm uh, excuse me for the Browns. And I think it's really nice when uh, a GM looks outside the bubble and sees what the team means to the people and how the Browns fans rallied around the team as it went through the different quarterback things and you know Flacco getting hot and. And no chub. And so that was, uh, and he talked about the moments of the Jets game and I was there and was covering and it was a remarkable evening and he wanted to see more of that. And, you know, you've seen it in Detroit 
And I think also what he was laying out there is like, uh, if it could happen in Detroit, it could happen here. And if it could happen in Detroit, by the way, with Jared Goff, who's pretty good, but not great, it could happen here. That's what I would have had, but he probably don't want to knock Goff in that regard. But that's where I think he was going with that. And, and I, th- I like that. I thought it was a good, uh, good way to go. Yeah, it is an interesting comparison. And um, just real quick, I want to mention Jimmy Watkins from our staff was actually in Detroit for the game Sunday and wrote, he talked to some Lions fans about what it was like to be in Detroit mm-hmm. and, and like what it could look like in Cleveland. So check that out if you get a chance at cleveland.com slash sports. So uh, Terry, Bill Belichick still on the market. And what do you think of his head coaching outlook? And if you were a team, would you hire him? Would you hire him, David? I'll throw it right back at you. I would, but I would want to surround him with some bright up-and-coming assistants to bring some new ideas in. I think that they could use some of that, and you'd also have the right have to have a quarterback for him. But what would you do? No, I just wouldn't hire him. Uh, because also, I don't want him being my general manager, and that's what he'd be used to doing. And if he was put into a situation where he's a GM, I don't know how he'd handle that. He never was interested. He was... Um, when he came in here, uh, he wanted to run the whole show, and he did. And when he went to New England, he did. And he's 71 years old. And I can talk about the age situation since I'm 68. And I think it's easy to get stuck in your ways. And no, I would not hire him. All right. Well, we'll see if he lands somewhere. That's it's someone who wants to coach with his track record. You think he's going to land somewhere? So the coaching. Well, I would, you know, it is a what have you done for me lately? Absolutely. And uh, some of his critics from here, even this is before, right after Brady left, one of them told me, not from Cleveland, but he had worked with Bill along the way. Said, uh, "We'll see how good Bill is now," because he said, it, "You know, his drafting has not been good lately." And now he doesn't have Tom to lean on. So we'll see. And if he said, if you look and see the quarterbacks that he did draft, he was good at getting a Matt Castle or Jacoby Brissett, um, Garoppolo. But he's ne- it's not like he found uh, a Pro Bowl guy, you know, lower in the draft or anything like that. So, no, my answer is no. I think I would consider him being done. At the very least... He needs a year off to recalibrate. Kind of like Mike McCarthy did before he went back to the Cowboys. Uh-huh. Just kind of reinvent yourself, see what the, the, hot, the hot trends are, how you can redefine what you're doing. Yeah, and I, I think, think that's a good I idea, Terry. It's, it's an exhausting job. Uh, that's the other thing there. Um, so we're going to – He probably we'll hasn't see. had a year off in like 30 years. He hasn't. <laughs> if you More think than about that. it, yeah. I mean, if you, yep. yeah, I don't know if he's ever – I don't think he's ever been out. I think you're right. So, so um, okay. all right, Terry, we got to move along here. I did want to – we've been talking about Stefanski and, and Belichick and Ed Cohen, a longtime listener of the show, and frequently sends in copy editing things that he sees that we can fix on this site, yeah. which I really appreciate. He has a letter here, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it because he is mad at Kevin Stefanski. And he says, hey, guys, I already know what your answer will be, with, but with so many long-term proven winning, even championship winning head coaches now available, 
Belichick, Carroll, Harbaugh. Harbaugh just went off the market, but uh, Vrabel and even maybe McCarthy, Tomlin, and Saban. We'll see how that goes. But shouldn't the Browns at least make some calls to their agents? Stefanski was just outcoached and failed to adequately prepare or motivate his team in the humiliating loss to a rookie head coach rookie quarterback, and rookie offensive coordinator. He's not an inspirational leader or effective CEO of the coaching staff. While he's far from the worst coach the Browns have had, Kevin Stefanski didn't get the 2023 Browns to the playoffs. Joe Flacco did. Without Flacco, talk of Stefanski's replacement would be rampant, as it should be. Rarely does a team have the chance to bring in a proven winner. Right now, there are many available. I'd hate to see them miss this opportunity, but I bet they will. Um, Who are these guys? The coaches? Yeah, his big list. Go ahead. Belichick, Pete Carroll. Belichick. I mean, just talked about. (laughs) We can't get stuck on what a guy did a while ago. It's what can he do now? I remember talking to a GM when I was a young writer, and said about a guy was a free agent. I forgot what the player was. He says, "I don't want to pay him for what he did. I want to pay him for what he's going to do for me." You're talking about that. I'm looking at the last year or two. Something he's on the decline. And so when you turn around, I mean, Nick Saban, there's a reason he quit at Alabama. He's whether he's tired once a year off, he's 70 something years old. I mean, you know, Belichick's 70 some years old. He has not been very good since um, he lost with uh, once he since he lost Brady. Uh, he thought he had it all figured out with Mac Jones. No, he didn't. Uh, and then and same thing for Pete Carroll. Probably. Yeah. Time. It's time. What about Jim Harbaugh and Mike Vrabel, Terry? Should the Browns have gone? Jim Harbaugh has won everywhere he's been. Mike Vrabel has an impressive track record, including playoff Vrabel's the only one that would interest me, but I guess I would ask you, how much better has he been than Stefanski? I'm not a big Mike Vrabel guy. I think he's been a really good NFL coach. I I don't see the offense. They've never solved the offense in in Tennessee under his watch. And that, to me, you know how it is, Terry. If you can't score, you don't win these yeah. days. And I, unless he had some amazing coordinator come in and run the offense, I just wouldn't. I just wouldn't do it. I just so. think a lot of times the other the other guy's coaches looks a lot better because you're not looking at them that hard week after week like you're looking at your own coach. I really believe that. It it, it it's just you know you're not. I mean, how much how much do any of us in Cleveland really know about Pete Carroll? How often have you wa- we watched him coach out in Seattle or whatever? You know, it's just. Uh, I mean, I, I I always thought he was pretty good. I think the guy here is pretty good. Now, I do too, and I I do respect that. Given all the turmoil that the Browns have been through since they came back in '99, there is a long term plan here. There's a long term mm-hmm. front office and a long term head coach and a long term quarterback. And there haven't been many times you could ever say that with this franchise. And so they're going to go with this front office. They're going to go with Kevin Stefanski, and they're going to go with Deshaun Watson. And I just want to argue this thing about Flacco. If it was so easy, why was Flacco 3-14 and from when he left Baltimore till he came here? Something changed. It wasn't just that he sat on his couch and suddenly woke up at Joe Flacco at the age of 30 instead of 38 or 39. Now something ha- they they put him in the right system, they surrounded him with some of the right players, and uh, off he went. So uh, yeah, I guess it's one of those things. That, so Stefanski has reached a point with some fans. It's like he could come up with a perfect game plan, but they will say, "Yeah, but the quarterback had a good day." 
and the quarterback could blow three throws in a row, well, you know, and read the whole play wrong, and yeah, well, that's Stefanski's fault. I mean, it was not Stefanski's fault that Joe threw two picks in the second half. It just wasn't. Pick six. The first one, he wanted to throw out of bounds. He waited too long, got hit and threw it there. And the second one, he threw right into double coverage. And you hear from fans a lot who are still on Stefanski, and he's going to win Coach of the Year in like a, in like two weeks, I believe. Yeah. But he's I going to win think, the award on NFL I think it's, it's, a, it's common, a very weird dynamic right now. Right, and it's that way in most towns because you just watch your own team. You don't watch the others. <laughs> it's like I get emails. Why does it seem like our team is the only one injuries? Uh, look around. Yeah. All right, Terry, we have to move along. I, I, yeah. I want to get this in, though. This is totally unrelated to what we've been talking about, a little bit related to the Browns, but Chris Schreck, uh, I'm sorry, Chris, Chris Sheck. I'm sorry, Chris, I messed your name up there. He sent this in a few weeks ago. I want to get your thoughts on it because it's an interesting idea. And he says, hey, Terry, is it not surreal that the Browns won 11 games this season and, and were a favorite going into wildcard weekend despite leading the league in turnover? giveaways even joe flacco who deserves tremendous credit has shown has thrown his share of interceptions but how many were his fault in any football game often you'll see a pass tipped bobbled or deflected somehow into the hands of a defender and it makes me think that football could learn something from baseball here on the scorekeeping and stats side of things when a pitch gets passed the catcher when a pitch gets past the catcher a judgment call is made whether it goes in the books as a wild pitch or a pass ball Aren't the responsibilities of the pitcher and catcher here the same as a quarterback and receiver? I would propose the following change for football that would be clear-cut with no judgment calls. Once a pass is released, if the ball is touched first by a defender and then intercepted, it's an interception. It counts against the quarterback. If the ball is first touched by a receiver and then intercepted, it counts as a drop and maybe a lost fumble against the receiver. Stats are never perfect, but wouldn't this be more accurate? And again, you're, he says, you're a fan. And again, Chris Check. Thanks for that, Chris. I what like do you think? It. I like yeah. it. I really like it. I think it's good. Um, I do too. <clears throat> I like it. Baseball suits also with a wild pitch, where generally the rules, if it's in the dirt, it's a wild pitch. Or if it's like outrageously high and outside. Uh, but what you don't know in baseball sometimes, and it'd be the same thing here, um, is if the catcher gets crossed up. In other words, he calls a curveball. I mean, a couple of times I've seen watching Karen Shack, who. He only had two pitches, and he couldn't keep it straight. And a couple of times, he just about almost killed Austin Hedges with pitches. And Hedges got, you know, called for a, a wild pitch. And it was clear that, you know, Karen Check just couldn't separate number one and number two. Um, and, it, like, there was one or two of Joe's interceptions. Uh, Cedric Tillman ran the wrong, wrong route. So those, I think, you have to live with. But the idea, I like it. Look, if it's off the receiver's hands – the quarterback put it so the receiver there at least get a hand on it. If it's tipped at the line or whatever by a defender, well, that's on you, quarterback. So I, I like it. Chris, good idea. Yeah, and even if the receiver goes up and, and it's over his head and he gets a hand on it, like there would be a judgment call. Maybe that's on the – maybe that goes to the quarterback. Like I, I like it too. I think it would be really good. Yeah. Maybe the receiver should get interception as one of their stats, how many well, rec- interceptions they cause. So that uh, – there is – I've seen some of those stats, but I'm not sure what to make of them. I think somewhere deep in PFF because it's like, all right, you're thrown to the guy, but it's 10 yards over his head. You know, we've seen those and gets picked off. So, yep. All right, Terry, we're running behind. Let's take a break here. When we come back, uh, let's get into Tristan Thompson a little bit. He's been suspended for 25 games by the NBA. I want to know what you think that does to the Cavaliers. 
And then we do you think the Cavs should make a move? The trade deadline is two weeks from today. So we'll get into that and more when we return on Terry's Talking. We're back on Terry's Talking. Uh, let's get into the Cavs, Terry. The, the Cavs have been really hot the last month or so. They're 26 and 16. I think they're in a virtual tie with the Knicks right now for the number four seed in the East. Big news came out this week. Tristan Thompson has been suspended for 25 games. He was taking some performance-enhancing substances, and he'll be out until March. What did you think of this, Terry? Were you surprised, I guess? And then what does this do to the Cavs in terms of their rotation and and their effectiveness uh, down low? Well, very rarely do these guys get uh, caught on these drug tests in the NBA. Uh, You start with that. Secondly, I will give Tristan credit for at least not claiming it was uh, Dominican nose spray or, or these other things you would get in baseball. I remember that was right. uh, Rafael Bentoncourt. It's like I had the sinuses and I took this nose spray and, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not going to argue the merits. I'm just saying that was what was thrown out by Bentoncourt, I remember. Um, and it was clearly he was really trying to get his career back together. He used two different parts of a, a steroid. So uh, I think it's a fairly significant loss right now because – uh, he gets in there, and he, he's a physical player underneath, uh, and he is a player that the other guys respect. He's really smart. He comes out and sets picks when a guard's in trouble. Uh, he is a beast on offensive rebounds, uh, and I just think – and he doesn't need the ball. So he fits into, uh, let's make sure the other guy shoot, and I'll just go do the dirty work. And he would push some guys around a little bit. He would have been very useful last year against the Knicks. I'm not saying that swings the series. No doubt about it. But he could have got in there and battled. So now you're looking at, well, until Evan comes back, I mean, you're looking at Pete Nance. Who's that guy? Uh, I can't even think of the the big guy that they signed was with Golden State. He was in there a little bit. And uh, I don't know if he's very good at all. Pete Nance, maybe – um, maybe Isaiah Mobley, you know, mm-hmm. that's the thing you, who might be back next week. And so, uh, uh, not, not Evan, Isaiah Mobley, the brother. Oh, Isaiah. Right. Yeah. For, I'm just looking for some, stop. I'm looking for some minutes here. So you don't kill Jared Allen. And so that was the other thing that was going on during this. It was like, seemed like when he took Allen out and put Tristan in, things are just fine. Uh, so. They'll have to work around that. Now, if Mobley comes back and he's fairly well, then they can they should be fine. It would be interesting to see them split the minutes more rather than worry about having Mobley and Allen together a lot. Uh, maybe divide it up some. Maybe they only play together 10 total minutes, something like that. You divide up the remaining uh, 38 minutes somehow between, between them, and that creates a more of that room for uh, – uh, guys to move it out the ball, guys to drive to the rim. Uh, and, it, you know, we talked about this earlier, and I really believed it would work, and it has. Putting the ball in the hands of Donovan Mitchell and just letting him play, the team took off with that. And and he is playing tremendous all-around basketball with the passing, the rebounding, uh, the leadership, not that many turnovers. He's still getting a lot of deflections and steals. Uh, he's embraced that role. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to find out how that works when, when Garland comes back. But, man, I have just loved watching these guys play. And every time I look at that stat, you know, when they're throwing like 15 more passes a game than anybody else, it's hard 
to get NBA players to move without the ball. Because if you go and watch a lot of be it high school games or especially the dreaded AAU games, it's all clear outs. Give me the ball, get out of the way. They all love James Harden, these other guys. You know, this is the opposite of that. And then what they would need to do, I think, when Garland comes back, is really work with him on getting into moving without the ball, running around picks, doing this kind of stuff, because he's got the jump shot to do it. He just has to program himself to fit in there with um, um, with Donovan. I don't want to mess with Donovan's role at all. I just think it's he's cooking. Yeah, and, and Darius has such a, a unique skill set. Like he can do he can do like things that three guys on the team you'd have to meld together. To, mm-hmm. to, and so they're probably going to have to work out some. You're right, some different sets for him to get him to some good spots on the floor without the balls. So that when he gets it, he can do some damage. So. Um, so Terry, you've always been a proponent of this is a young team. They need time Mm -hmm. to come together. And I feel like we're already almost to the end of January and this team, they have not been whole. I don't think at all for any kind of substantial amount of time. And the trade deadline is two weeks from today. I I wanted to see, do do you think that they need to make a move? I mean, they lost to Milwaukee last night. They haven't beaten a lot of really good teams. And we might not know the answer to this until after the trade deadline. I think they have some really tough games in March where they're playing Phoenix and Miami and Minnesota and Philly, maybe Denver. But do you think that this team can be okay without doing anything by the trade deadline? And the other thing is they're hamstrung. Like they, they can't trade their 2024 draft pick until right before the draft. There's not a lot they can do unless they trade guys for, for guys. So what you want them to stand pat and let this thing gel? Who, who would you trade? That's what I'm asking. Like, there's there's really not a lot you can do here, and you don't know what you have, right? Because it hasn't been together. Well, you know you have pretty good chemistry with this group, um, and and you also know I had a um, talk with Kobe Al- Kobe Altman a while ago. He just said, and JB keeps saying, it, and he says it's true. The first month of the season was just messed up. You know, Jarrett wasn't playing, guys were hurt, all that kind of stuff. And they were trying to incorporate this move without the ball stuff. And there was some resistance from some of the players here because uh, it was and the new guys are trying to figure out where do they fit. And so then when the whole thing um, went away, uh, when when um, excuse me, when when Garland and, and, and Mobley were out. Now, that opened up a lot of minutes for those guys It opened up space and they were able to just play that way because those guys. Um, know how to play without the ball. Merrill knows how to play without the ball, and so does Struess. Uh, Niang is a unique player. He's a lot of fun. You know, he he actually, he doesn't really run around picks a whole lot, but he could take the ball, and he's, I remember this one NBA person told me, he goes, you look at him, you'll think, uh, you know, he's he's sort of out of shape, which he is. He goes, but he's just kind of one of those heavy guys that's a better athlete than you think. He goes, he's a little dirty if you watch. He's kind of throwing elbows and grabbing guys. He says, but he's a good basketball player. He goes, I like him. And I think that's what you see uh, from him. And so they were able to – what happened is the personality of the team changed with the injuries. It became Donovan's team with him running it, and then a share the ball, move around, type ball. Club. And the remarkable thing is how the defense held. Yes, it has helped them that some of the opponents have not been that strong. But look, you, you can only play who's on your schedule. And they're beating these guys. And so um, I give them a lot of credit. I'll be fascinated to watch the changes as they come. 
But I, look, the, the, the franchise doesn't fall because Tristan suspended for 25 games. But we just had a, a problem there trying to figure out who takes some of those minutes. Yeah, it's going to be a challenge. And so the Cavs have the Bucks in a rematch on Friday night in Milwaukee after losing to them uh, last night, 126-116. And then interesting game on Monday, Terry. They're back home against the Clippers, who I think are mm-hmm. fourth place in the West right now. So that'll be a couple of good tests here, and we kind of see how they look. And then they're playing the G League team known as the Detroit Pistons on the 31st next Wednesday. So yep. uh, that should be a win. So. All right, Terry, uh, you were at Guards Fest on Saturday, and I don't think there was a lot of news that came out of it, but it was the first chance for fans to kind of see Stephen vote and get to hear from him. What did you kind of take away from Guards Fest? And, uh, you know, we're almost at spring training. Anything you learned that we can expect in spring training? I mean, the, uh, the hardcore were there, and they're excited about the young team and that. But it, it's a strange vibe, at least for me, because – Unlike a year ago where you're 92 and 70, young team on the, the Ascension, Francona's manager of the year. Well, this time they're 76 and 82. And this time Francona's gone. You have a manager, I wrote a lot about vote, who's um, just one year away from playing. Um, your When your biggest offseason move is Estevan Florio, a guy who hit, I think is 28 homers in AAA for the Yankees, uh, 20 stolen bases to play center field. Uh, I mean, that's nice. But it doesn't really address some of the the problems there. Um, I mean, a lot of it rides on will Bieber and McKenzie be healthy to anchor that rotation, and can they get some of these young guys, whether it's uh, Forio or Manzardo, come up from the minors or something else? They're going to need a real influx of that because it doesn't seem like there's any help coming from anywhere else. And when I was reading some of the stuff that Vote was talking about, I, I thought I was listening to Terry Francona. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it, he, you know, we're going to put pressure on teams. We're going to make it tough on them. We're going to work hard and have grit, and we're going to make pitchers earn it and put the ball in play. And it was, I, I don't know that a lot will change in terms of the way this team plays, partially, partially because they have to. But to hear them talking about these maintaining these values so early into Stephen Vote's time here was it was interesting it's like wow this is just exactly what Terry Francona would have said I think that's part of the reason he was hired because he was willing to buy into that and remember he played in Oakland for six of his 10 years uh, I, I asked him a question about development or something because we have to ha- have these guys learn and grow as fast as possible and I said well that's kind of a contradiction because usually that takes time uh, it's actually you try to win now. He goes, I realize that. He said, but we want to do everything we can to accelerate the rate in which the they acclimate to the big leagues and improve. And I guess this is just accepting the reality. They're accepting the reality. We don't have much power, so we better run and put pressure on the other team. Accepting the reality that some veteran players who are really good players are not going to just show up. So we better develop our own. Accepting the reality of this is Cleveland baseball, but you're in a weaker division. And if you can continue to play well, uh, you know, maybe it'll uh, it'll pay off. And the reality of baseball is how much you don't know with young players. You just don't know. I mean, Juan Brito, who I, I like some, what if he's like the real thing? 
You know, he's the guy they got from Colorado. And in June or July, he pops up and he starts hitting 280 and he takes that over to second base. And, and uh, what if Jimenez moves over to shortstop and plays like he did two years ago? I mean, that's, by the way, not totally. Yeah, yeah, that's not just fantasy. And that's a possibility. You could say maybe the odds are against him. It's a possibility. You know, what if Manzardo comes up and hits? Um, and so there are different things in that regard. You know, what if Florio who was at one point a top 15 prospect in baseball way back when, and he was sort of stuck in the Yankee farm system. What if he gets a chance to play and really does hit some home runs and they finally get a center fielder with some offense who could also still play defense? Uh, so, you know, you, you can make these cases, but it isn't like this is not a plug-and-play team where you just drop these guys in there and you put numbers in there. Like Francona's big line is, what, I remember what he would talk about, whether it was Jose was off to a slow start or – Carlos Santana, where he goes, well, just look at the back of the baseball card. We well, look at the back of these guys, these baseball cards, they're blank, or they got a bunch of AAA stats there. So, yeah. I, I'm really excited for you to, when you and Paul Hoynes will both be out at spring training. I want to know, like, what's di- what looks different, what they're doing mm-hmm. differently. Like, th- it's the same front office and a lot of the same players, but things are going to be different in terms of the coaching. So, I can't wait to see that, but uh, it'll be before we know it, Terry. Um, okay, we got a couple of things to mention real quick. I did want to mention our email address. If you want to send in a comment question for the podcast, it's sports at cleveland.com. Also, Terry, Cleveland is known for sports, but it's also known for food and drink. And I have to mention real quick, we have a new podcast called Dine Drink CLE. And I wanted to read a little promo for it here. They're breaking new ground. It's a lively discussion about dining and drinking in Greater Cleveland. If you haven't checked it out, it's uh, Josh Duke, Alex Darris talking about the latest food happenings. Um, Mark Bonas drops in, Paris Wolf, Pizza Carry, and some of the great uh, food experts in Cleveland who cover this stuff for us on our newsroom. So check out Dine, Drink, Clee. Get your food fix, and you can find that anywhere you download podcasts. Give it a listen and see what you think. It'll probably make you hungry. So. All right, Terry, we do have a couple of letters. We we have some saved letters when we, a couple months ago, asked people to write in for our 100th episode. So we wanted to run through the, those real quick. You ready? I'm ready. All right. First one is from Gary Blake. Gary says, I'm from Brunswick and I live in Congress Township in Wayne County. I'm a Cleveland sports fan because my mom was a Browns fan and my dad was a Steelers fan. Wow. Talk about a divided household. Um, great craziness in the seventies in our house, lived through the seventies, eighties, nineties, and forward. My dad took me to the old municipal stadium to watch the Indians and Browns, including the 1976 Browns win versus the Steelers. And I went to the Coliseum for the Cavs. Love that I can continue the tradition with my kids and hopefully my grandkids. So thanks for that, Gary. And then this one is from Myron Polster. He's from Atlanta and Myron says, Hey, Dave and Terry, as a native of Cleveland, I've lived in Atlanta for the past 26 years. While I love my adopted city, I'm faithful to all Cleveland teams and even watch most of the Cleveland State basketball games on ESPN+. I don't know if it's my desire to finally see the Cleveland teams win a championship, but I can't imagine ever rooting for an Atlanta team other than in soccer, where there is no comparable (laughs) Cleveland team. All my high school friends are invited to Atlanta in April to see Cleveland play the Braves, and we meet in Cleveland at least once a year for a game. Even my daughter is a huge Cleveland fan, and she grew up in Atlanta. She loves Nick Chubb, and my first call when he got hurt was to her to see if she was watching. I generally pay for sports packages for MLB, NBA, NFL, so I can watch the Cleveland teams. I was in attendance at several memorable moments of Cleveland, both good and bad. The layup by Elo followed by the shot, the greatest sporting event I've ever attended. I'm assuming he's talking the Michael Jordan shot there. Mm-hmm. 
Steve one Kerr hit. I may say one of the greatest out of bounds plays ever by Lenny Wilkins because I remember Lenny Wilkins. I was asking him about uh, boy. A lot of times you have these plays where the guy taking in the taking the ball in um, gets a shot, and this is after practice. So he goes, "All right, now he took the ball, he held it out of bounds. He says, now guard me.'" And then he went like fake, like he's going to throw to the right. My head turned. He says, and then he just went two steps on the court. He goes, you just lost me. <gasps> nice. What's the natural thing? He says, even when you tell a guy, don't fall for that. He goes, that guy's jumping up and down. He's trying to distract you. And then when he goes to throw the ball, your just natural instinct, because remember, it's a tight spot in the game, is to follow the ball. That's all a good player needs, especially when the play is drawn up. So what happened in that play was Larry Nance came up because he would have, when he couldn't get the ball in bounds, he would have Nance come running towards the guy bringing it in because he said it was very easy to get the ball to the guy bringing it in. Uh, maybe know about out-of-bounds plays and you want to know. He goes, he would throw it up high. All of a sudden, Elo's guy, I forgot who was covering him, Pippen or somebody, turned his head. Elo went right to the – got a pass right back from Nance, went right to the rim and made a layup. And actually, if you look at the tape, he probably was fouled on it. They didn't call it. And remember, Elo just said to me after the word – and a couple other guys, I just wish it would have hung in the air for about three more seconds <laughs> because they scored too fast. It was six seconds yeah. left to go. They scored in three seconds. And then, of course, Chicago calls timeout, and then the Jordan shot. Yeah, nobody remembers the Elo basket because of the no. Jordan shot. It's one of the saddest uh, things in Cleveland sports. Out of bounds play. It was. It was too good. It was too quick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Myron also says he was there when Steve Kerr hit a half court shot at the end of the third quarter in the seventh game of the Celtics series when the Cavs blew out Bird, McHale, and Parrish. The crowd did not stop cheering for about four straight minutes between quarters. He says he was there. Gomer Hodge pinch hit on opening day to defeat Boston. Odell Jones coming out one way from no hitting, coming one out away from no hitting the Indians with a typical 4,000 person crowd at the game. And Ron Lolich hit a grand slam in the bottom of the ninth to win a game. Those are all some of his sports memories. Boy. And again, it's from Myron Polster from Atlanta. So that's what, those are hardcore there. There's some of those that, yeah. uh, that I don't remember. So <laughs> Ron Lolich, not Mickey Lolich, Ron Lolich. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, Terry, I think we're good. Hey, quick reminder, if you want to get Terry's newsletter, you can go to cleveland.com slash newsletters and sign up there. You'll get everything Terry does every week. And again, the survey, we want to hear what you think about the podcast and how we can change it, make it better. It's tinyurl.com slash Survey 24 So anything else, Terry? What do you want to get into here to wrap up? Anything? No, that'll do it. Don't forget about Terry's appearance Wednesday at the Music Box. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week on Terry's Talking.